welcome back to the Econ For You podcast series. I'm your host Sanjana and the aim of my podcast is to interview professionals of different industries in order to understand how we can develop our economy for the better. Be sure to give the Instagram and Twitter at EFY Podcasts a follow for future updates. In today's episode, I am excited to introduce George Ann Ryan, a public policy professional with a focus on economic and political development data science's role in evidence-based public policy and economic and political inequalities. She's also the CFO of the Sadie Collective, an organisation that aimed to solve the diversity problem in the economics field, a field that's notoriously known as one of the least diverse sectors of education and employment. So George Ann, could you introduce yourself and elaborate on your role at the Sadie Collective? All right. Hi, Sanjana. Thanks for having me on. I am George Ann Ryan. As you said before, I'm Chief Financial Officer at the CD Collective. Um, I'm also a recent grad of Columbia University, where I pursued my master's in economic and political development. I'm based in the Caribbean now. Um, and with the CD Collective, my work as CFO is purely based on fundraising, strategic partnerships, and making sure that we're in um, the right position to be sustainable financially for the future. And what the CDA Collective basically is, is a collective of, of um, Black women across the diaspora, not only in the United States, but we have membership in the United Kingdom, Africa and the Caribbean. And we work primarily on fixing the pathway to pipeline problem economics, where um, Black women in particular are um, only last academic year half of 1% of economics PhDs went to black women. And not only that, the small amount of PhD, but compared to bachelor's, master's programs, it's actually a higher fallout rate and leakages in the pipeline. And then also looking at statistics about um, professorships, who gets tenure, who gets published in the best academic journals, and the issue of how representation and lack thereof can impede any future progress on those fronts. And so this CIA Collective basically does is look at the pipeline as it is right now, looking at high school students, um, looking at bachelor's level study or graduate school study, making sure that they feel supported throughout their studies and then making, giving them the network, the tools and the resources they need to um, pr- progress in their careers. Okay, so how is the Sadie Collective actually founded and how did it develop and become where it is today? So the Sadie Collective started in the fall of 2018. Um, our co-founders, Anna um, Giftiopoku Ajiman and Fanta Trare, uh, were both did the AEA summer program. So in the United States, there's the American Economic Association, which is sort of like a trade skills for economists in the United States. And there is a summer program whereby the AEA tries to, in their own way, increase minority representation in the field uh, through race, gender, LGBTQ status, and others. And they do sort of like a summer intensive study in economics um, to prepare them for PhD as like a boot camp. And so Anna and Fanta both did that program, and they also met at a conference and were connected by Lisa Cook, who is the uh, head of the AA summer program. And they had the idea of, you know, for a lot of black women in economics, we are the only one in our department or the only one in our school. I know for me in my master's program, I was one of eight black people in the entire um, graduating class. And so what if we had just a thing for them to all just come together and network, share um, resources. And from that, um, 
they both reached out into our networks. I joined as chief financial officer in the October of that year, and we grew a team of seven where we uh, pulled off our first conference at Mathematica Policy Institute in Washington, D.C., and that went really well. We got a lot of press, and so we did our second conference in collaboration with Urban Institute in Washington, D.C. Um, this past February, and are working on our third conference next year. And so for the City Collective, it's really been a exercise in, in sisterhood and in hard work. We've managed to not only leverage being one of the only organizations dedicated to the advancement of Black women, and in particularly the advancement of um, early career professionals. Uh, and we've been able to leverage that and our respective connections to the think tank world, our academic institutions, and our different um, past academic and professional work to really push forward the agenda and increase our membership to now having over 540 Black women across the United States, Canada, Europe, and Africa, and representing around 35 institutions. Okay, that's really inspiring to hear. So why do you think that the lack of diversity is more prominent in the economics field compared to other sectors such as STEM, where underrepresented groups have begun to make some headway? Why is it more of an issue in the economics field, do you think? So economics uh, has a few issues. I would first say that in particular in the United States um, and in the Western world, in the United Kingdom, I, I lived in the UK for many years. Um, my father's British, and so I... I dipped a toe there as well. Um, there was a lot of st- structural violence when it comes to um, economics. Economics is a field that prizes power. It looks at policy, it looks at the economy, it looks at business. Economics is a study that does encompass a lot of the powerful elements of modern society today, particularly when it comes to policy and money. And when you look at the history of economics, you know, you have my personal greats, like you have like Sir Arthur Lewis um, from St. Lucia, and you have um, many great black economists who work in the United States, who work in Europe. But by and large, they have been an exception to the rule in terms of being able to work hard enough to get that level of notoriety and fame and um being known in the fields for their work. Um, When you look at a lot of the universities in the United States, you'll find that um, from the high school system, it's not very equal. And so a lot of people don't even know economics as a potential field you can go into into and what economics can be um, at the bachelor's level. And so you come into university, you have no idea about what economics is. You choose a major that seems to be more common sense like business or law or engineering maybe what your parents are going to do and you don't find economics until it's too late essentially which is what happens to a lot of people um or they have a really awful econ 101 class in college and that turns them off of it um forever basically until they realize what it really is and also when you look at the school system in the united states it's heavily unequal when it comes to um like funding, and so things like AP classes that give you that exposure to economics of what economics is, what you can study, um, is very much based on the wealthier and often whiter suburbs who can afford to have those classes and that exposure. And so it is, on one hand, you have the structural violence of like the nature of economics and 
the power it has in public policy and the economy and business and the fact that the powers that be don't really want diversity in those spaces because that is against their best interests. But then you also have the structural piece in, te- in terms of the education system in the United States and around the world, how unequal it can be to minorities and people of lesser economic means and the consequences that has for their exposure um, to the field and how that sets them back in higher study. Okay, so obviously this um, lack of diversity, um, inequality, and also perhaps ignorance of the course itself um, might act as a deterrence for young black females and generally females of colour to even consider the field. So what can be done to actually remove this fear and uncertainty? Yeah, so I can say from my perspective, you know, I'm from a developing country, and when I was going to university, my parents had the age-old mantra of, like, doctor, lawyer, engineer. And so when I went to university, I was actually um, inspired by a teacher I had in high school. So in the Caribbean, we have something similar to GCSEs where you take, you know, your, you don't take, like, it's not in America we have, like, the SAT and just take math and English. It's similar to the British system. You the history of colonialism where you take economics, business, the subjects similar to the GCSEs. Um, and so I had the great benefit of having my first exposure to economics being a black woman who was my um, secondary school economics teacher. And I feel like that was re- really inspired me to go into economics and have the confidence to know that I could study this at a university level once I went off to, to uni. And so I think that people should not discount the um, benefit that representation has. Um, in bringing more people into the field. And that's a big gap that um, City Collective is trying to fix when we have our conferences. Uh, in our last conference, many people who are attendees said that was the first time they'd ever met a black woman economist. And for a lot of people, that is the push they need um, to feel confident and comfortable entering the field. And so I think representation is a big piece. We need to really learn about how to uplift the voices we have and how to make sure that when we have black women who have done the work, they get the praise and the adulation and the, um, and the visibility that they deserve. On the second piece, I think we need to look critically at our school system. I think that a lot of the um, inequities in um, economic and political power are tied as well to who gets education types of education people receive. Um, even looking at the recent A-level scandal um, in the UK when it comes to how grades were calculated for A-levels and GCSEs, it did disproportionately impact um, minority and low-income students who went to public or comprehensive schools. Um, not public in like the Eaton sense, but like government-funded um, comprehensive schools. And so with that, that is a the blow to their livelihood and their college aspirations and is a blow to the work they would have done to be able to get into the rooms they need to to study. And so we need to look at the inequities in schooling and see, are we really preparing everyone equally? Are we really preparing um, students to be successful regardless of where they're from? So representation and prep and preparedness are the things that we at the State Collective really try to push. So we have workshops, um, in things like interview etiquette and uh, how to negotiate your salary or job, but also data science, um, making sure that our members brush up on their status skills, brush up on their R skills, um, 
give them connections to tutoring and other things that they may need um, to be competitive on their own two feet. Because we don't want anyone to say, well, I got here because I was a part of the CNA Collective and I was chosen because it was just like a tick in the box. Like we want to be able to say, yes, you are you are like a diverse group of women, but you're also incredibly skilled and no one can take that away from you. Yeah, so I think what you mentioned about the whole changing the high school system was really interesting, especially considering recent events in the UK with predicted grades negatively impacting poorer regions. Um, So that's a really interesting thought. I was just wondering during your school journey to university and to become the public policy professional you are today, did you personally face any hurdles along the way as a result of your gender and or race? And how did you overcome these hurdles? Yeah, so for me personally, I think that growing up in the Caribbean was a blessing because I was really confident in my abilities pertaining to um, my intelligence and my aptitude for the field. Because not only did we have like, you know, the two levels, the the two years of economic study that we did for like our GCSE equivalent, um, which a lot of students in the United States don't get because there's like they, unless they take like AP classes, um, which are concentrated in like richer areas more more or less um and so I was really confident in my abilities and so when I got there and I started to do, to the United States to do my undergraduate degree I was really like that one where I was like you know I've done two years of this like this principles of micro this principles of macro I did this in high school this is a piece of cake but then I would be um basically confronted with professors who thought that attitude like a confident black woman is an uppity black woman or a black woman that doesn't know her place or thinking that, you know, somehow um, I'm cheating because my grades cannot be, like, that good because in their minds, oh, like, she probably, um, she's, like, this black woman, like, she's coming from a different country. Does she even know English? Does she even, meanwhile, like, the Caribbean was mostly British, so we all know English as our first language. And, um, you know, the idea that, um, black women or black people are not as mathematically capable or um, stereotypes regarding um, where we come from or what we would want to do for for a job. You know, a lot of people say, maybe you should do sociology, maybe you should do um, accounting or business, something that's seen as like less work. And so I think f- from for me, it was mostly a sense of people wanting to discount um, my accomplishments or discount my ability to do the things that I did end up doing and proving them wrong. And in retrospect, when I was going through it, I was just, I was, since I was also new to the United States, going through it, I was thinking, why are these people like so concerned? I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But then looking back, back at it, it really is microaggressions. It really is the idea that people um, are not outwardly saying like nasty words or racial epithets or scorning you but on the guise of being concerned for your time or your money or your mental health, thinking that you should take the easy road, um, which is often the less profitable one, just because they see um, you as a part of a trend or another statistic of sort of like young black students not doing as well as once thought. And so I think that um, what really helps with that is a social system so I was lucky enough to keep in contact with my high school economics teacher when the professors were being difficult and I needed help. I would always reach out to her, um, parents, of course, 
that kind of thing. And so even going to my master's program, when you're one of very few black students, um, making sure that we had um, like a black students association, black students caucus, being able to have those spaces where you can breathe and clear the air and say, you know, I'm not the insane one. This professor really is biased, isn't he? And um, know that you have some people there who can you can talk to frankly and without any fear of being told that you're being aggressive. Okay, so do you think that considering the recent Black Lives Matter protests and overall a greater understanding for more people on the roots and implications of racism, um, that the future for black women in economics might be lo- looking a lot better than it did before? Or do you think that there's still a lot of work that has to be done? So for me, I think there's a lot of work t- to be done because Black Lives Matter was a great mo- is a great movement. And what it did was bring these issues to the forefront. Black Lives Matter has been going on for the past seven years. And when it first started, it was a controversial thing to say. Now it's trendy and now people are saying it because they know that their silence is seen as complicity and they don't want to be seen as complicit. But I think that making that having people jump on the bandwagon is one thing, but they also need to do the work. And so right now at the State Collective, a lot of we released a open letter to economic institutions saying uh, that saying what we as City Collective would like to see organizations in the in economics field that are powerful and that once excluded us, who are now saying Black Lives Matter, back it up with time with investments, with funding for um, pr- predominantly um, minority students or female students. Um, make sure that your professors have training to be sensitive to the needs of their students. Because at the end of the day, what I've noticed in the world is when you do things like this that help Black students, Black female students, you're not just helping black students, you're raising the floor for everyone. When people say like Black Lives Matter, what happens to white poor kids? What happens to white kids from other countries who are coming in and learning English as a second language? Don't they struggle too? And it's saying, yes, this like really putting the systems in place and the recommendations in place that promote equity throughout, not only the economics profession, but the world, you raise the floor for everyone. You end up helping everyone. And so what we're trying to do is say, you know, Black Lives Matter is a great movement and it's brought all these issues to the forefront. It's made the issues trendy to want to talk about. But we need to know that at the end of the day, when people are not watching, when the world is no longer tweeting the hashtags, that the work actually gets done. Yeah. So rather than just acknowledging the fact we need to actually put action and actually make change. Um, So do you have any words of advice for young black aspiring economists and even for general, in general, for economists of colour who might struggle to enter the field? Yeah, so for me, my advice would always be to know why you're doing the work you're doing, because when times seem difficult, that is really what's going to get you through. For me, the reason that I said economics was growing up in the Caribbean, noticing things like economic inequality, even in my own family, and wondering why things were the way they are, wondering why um, we were so tourism dependent, wondering why with the legacy of slavery and the transatlantic trade and tobacco and sugar and all that, like wondering why. And for me, that's what really pushed me through and made me orient myself to the jobs I've taken, the research I've done, 
and the life I've lived inside and outside of the field. And so I think that having that passion and, and being able to use that to power you as you go through, but also using it to guide you as you go through, does a lot for um, your not only your mental health, but also how you deal with difficult times in the profession. And my other advice would also be to not only find mentors and people that could help you professionally, but just find people who fulfill you as a whole. I've been really lucky to the Sadie Collective to have access to an amazing sisterhood of Black women who are working, doing the work that I'm doing and other work as well. Because in Sadie Collective, none of us are doing, doing this full time. All of us are either in school or early career. And so all of us are going through the same things when it comes to dealing with a difficult supervisor or dealing with a difficult stats class. Okay, um, so I think that brings me to the end of all my questions. Um, I just want to say thank you very much for speaking to my listeners today. It's clear that the diversity problem is still highly prominent in the economics field today, with black women being represented the least out of all the underrepresented groups. However, it is excellent to see all the effort that the Sadie Collective is initiating in order to ease access for these black women. And as you said... um, it's important to go and find mentors and try and um, make yourself known and know exactly why you want to study economics in the first place. So thank you for those inspiring words for any future economists um, listening to this podcast. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. So that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I hope you have enjoyed listening to our guest speaker today. Be sure to follow the Instagram at EFY Podcast and I hope you enjoyed listening to our discussion.